0: Hi everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Fortitude to Doomsday. I'm Mark. And I'm Rob. And tonight, um, any ideas what you want to talk about, Rob? Anything important happened over this week?
1: I'll be buggered if I know. Seems like a pretty slow news week this week. (laughs) August 2, 2005 uh, proved to be a very important day in Doctor Who history. Uh, One Philip Morris had this to say on the Missing Episodes Forum. Does anyone know what Ian Levine plans to do about the recovery of missing episodes? I myself have been considering a little overseas travel. I work overseas and I think by travelling to some or even all countries and searching is maybe the best way now of finally putting the rumours and stories to rest. If it's there, let's go there and ask politely. It can do no harm. Who knows? I might turn up a thing or two. What was the reaction to that comment? Well, fandom basically is full of atheists. And uh, Fandom is a pack of unbelievers, basically. Heretical, blaspheming unbelievers. Because as it turned out, Phil Morris is the Messiah. He has led us to the promised land of return missing episodes. Now, on January 13, 2011, on the very same Missing Episodes forum, Paul Venezis posted an update. Dear all, it's a new year. An investigation in some African countries is ongoing. I was hoping to have provided quite a bit more information by this stage, and it probably feels to many that nothing is going on and work has stopped. Nothing could be further from the truth. However, we really can't say anything at this stage for many reasons, which I won't go into just yet. I hope you all understand. However, to confirm what has been posted by us previously, several countries have been visited by Phil Morris. We can confirm that there is no material in either Zambia or Kenya. We also have pending invitations from two other countries – but a visitation to them will depend on overcoming a certain amount of red tape. Thanks for your patience. Regards, Paul.
0: Were you completely surprised about the uh, announcement of the recovery of nine episodes instead of 90? Well, there was a nine in there, wasn't there? Well, there was
1: 11, wasn't there? I'm not counting the duplicates. Oh, no, not counting the duplicates. Um, Well, as we discussed on our top downloaded episode uh, regarding missing episodes a few months ago... Thank you for that. Yes, thank you for that. Was I surprised? Because I'd been following the so-called Omni-Rumour for the past... Oh, it seems like forever now, but I think it's been about five or six months uh, that it's convulsed and gripped and all those words, fandom. Um, I've been following it religiously, so checking out you know uh, Gallifrey Base, checking out Planet Mondas, checking out our post-Scaro, checking out the Missing Episodes Forum. So I was pretty well versed in the ins and outs of what was supposed to have been found. But that was always tempered with the realisation that the idea that 90 episodes could possibly be coming back in one fell swoop uh, was just so outlandish as to just be out of order. But then when you think that they've actually returned nine missing episodes, and that is just as equally outlandish given the fact that they have been sitting on a shelf in Nigeria since the mid-1970s when I was a wee you know, a wee boy running around in uh, short pants—it's um, that's just as boggling, really, as the idea of ninety. well I mean, what do you, what do you think?
0: Well, I wasn't overly surprised about the announcement because, as you said, this has been building up for quite a while. I mean, even though they've announced these two stories, the Omni rumor continues to rumble along. I mean, I've seen lists—you've probably seen lists about alleged return material from either. Hong Kong, more African nations. I just don't know what to believe anymore. I'm Look, end of the day, though, I'm glad they've recovered two stories. Web of Fear Part 3 is still allegedly missing.
1: And Steve Roberts has actually come out and said, no, it's not been returned to the BBC, which you can read two ways, i.e. it's still being held onto, or it is indeed completely missing. And when uh, Phil Morris pulled those two, Tapes from that shelf—it just wasn't there amongst the uh, the two sets of stories. But I mean, be that as it may, I mean, uh, you know, five sixths of uh, of the web of fear is better than one sixth, I suppose. So.
0: I mean, the announcement of the episodes, the way they've done it—if there is more material to be released later on. I think the way they're doing it is quite smart, i.e. will give you dribs and drabs as opposed to saying here is a 40 or 50 episode cache dropped on your doorstep where the media cycle will drop off very quickly as opposed to you know, announcing recoveries and small dribs and drabs.
1: Exactly. It's, it's a perfect way of sustaining interest. I mean, the media cycle in Britain has already moved on. Uh, from what happened, uh, you know, Thursday, mm. Friday, our time, and it's moved on to more important things. The, the uh, you're right. I mean, it, it builds up and sustains momentum over the long, or medium to long term. Uh, there is an expectation growing in fandom, whether rightly or wrongly, that something will be announced at the Excel Convention uh, on the 50th anniversary in London that uh, the Marco Polo uh, has been returned, but. I mean, that harks back to the most, um, uh, the most sustained element of the Omni-rumour that 17 episodes, Marco Polo, Enemy of the World and Web of Fear had been found. And that seemed to be you know, the baseline for the entire set of rumours for a long, long time. Um, now, we, it did, in actual fact, come to fruition partly. Enemy of the World and Web of Fear have been returned. Uh, and there's a belief that Marco Polo is just waiting in the wings to uh, to come on stage to uh, more ecstatic acclaim from from fandom. But it look as with any of these rumors, uh, as observers who you know hear whispers and tidbits, it's very very hard to say. But Phil Morris's search is ongoing. He wasn't uh, at the press conference in person last week. He uh, sent a prepared message that the. The search goes on and he's uh, currently uh, globetrotting as we speak. Um, whatever his methods, the, the, the links that he makes uh, have certainly uh, have certainly paid off. But uh, you've got to take your hat off to the BBC. These rumours have been going on and on and on for months and months and months. Uh, and under sustained pressure from fans, I mean, people have been putting in freedom of information uh, requests. People have been contacting the BBC. Uh, the, the the certification uh, group in, in in the UK you know wanting to find out what's going on uh, the, the the restoration team has come under sustained question, questioning about what is going on what they know and uh, they, they have been under heavy fire they've basically held the line though you could make a case that some of their some of the responses from some individuals are unnecessarily uh, Unnecessarily angry, uh, but you know, I suppose if I was sitting here and people were constantly bombarding me with questions, I'd probably crack it at some stage.
0: You mentioned about the BBFC in terms of the classifications of material. The way they got the BBC got around that was iTunes apparently uh, doesn't have that remit in terms of getting material classified. So that's how they're able to get them onto iTunes.
1: Yes, I mean, if, I think it's if it's a digital, yeah, if it's a digital platform or a digital uh, outlet. There's no, there's no need to apparently get a classification, hmm. uh, which which is interesting, an interesting uh, loophole in the, in the in the law. But um.
0: but should it have been just locked down to iTunes? Like, should they have put it on uh, on Google Play, for example, as well? I- iTunes was great for me, I suppose, because I got an iTunes account. It was very very uh, easy to access. Except I don't have an Apple TV. Uh, a lot of faffing around to actually sit down and watch them, as opposed to you know if you had another device you could, or a DVD. For example, you could watch it on any device like that. What, what was your iTunes experience like?
1: Well, I, I, as you and as many, many millions of people out there do, I, I have an iTunes account. I, I, to be frank, I'm not particularly well versed in it, and it was a bit of a struggle for me. Uh, but in the end, even a technophobe like myself uh, managed to get the episodes you know, paid for and downloaded. Um, and I, I've been watching them on my iPad. I've watched all of Enemy of the World and uh, the first couple of episodes of The Web of Fear. Uh, in terms of using iTunes, well, I mean as I intimated before, millions and millions of people have signed up for it. It is through the ubiquity uh, of the iPhone and the iPad. it is you know the uh, the outlet, the digital outlet of choice basically and for and it you know instead of the BBC sort of making an announcement and then having to sort of ship the the DVDs, you get the announcement, the media is all over it. And the release of the the episodes was, you know, simultaneous with the announcement effectively. That's right. And you just, instead of people having to sort of get the announcement and then sort of wait a week for them to hit the shops, you've got that incentive. You, the blood is pumping in, you know, in fandom's heart. I must have them now. And they've basically rushed iTunes. And if you look at the sales lists, it's, you know, it's top five in the selected countries, even in... Germany, of all places, it's, uh, you know, the, the stories have been two and three, two and five, something like that on the charts. But no, I mean, I can't fault the BBC. I mean, the, the story leaked in the Mirror uh, online uh, website uh, two Sundays ago, and that sent the the, the, the the hairs running. And the BBC, I mean, it's hard to say, I mean, was it a strategic leak by the BBC to a news outlet uh, as a sort of a, just to whet the appetite of fans and, and the interest of the general community? And then the BBC sort of, you know, fake-caved into pressure and made an announcement that uh, they would be making an announcement. And that just helped make maintain interest and, 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 and get fandom working at an even greater pitch. So in terms of a media strategy, I mean, I really can't fault it. They didn't let... I mean, Mirror come out with this outlandish story about Ethiopia in 90 episodes. I mean, they'd obviously been fed wrong information or they'd just misinterpreted information or they'd just mangled the information.
0: More likely mangled.
1: Mangled, and it was enough to get the. It was enough to get fandom, you know, an uproar, and uh, uh, and then the BBC came out with an announcement, and it was a remarkably well-staged event for something that you know may have. Some people may think that the BBC panicked and said, "Bang!" Well, I tend to think that the space had been pre-booked. The people who are, you know, the the guests, uh, Fraser Hines, Deborah Watling, and Mark Gaddis had uh, previously been pre-booked. I I don't think this was uh, an error. Because I've heard that if you look at the metadata for the iTunes, um, uh, the stories on iTunes, they were uploaded on the 1st of August and hidden in plain sight effectively and just sort of activated on the, on the night or the, the day of the announcement. So this has been a long time coming and um, I think it was the right time.
0: I mean, potentially these stories will be released three times. iTunes? Vanilla DVD, and guarantee you in a year or two a special edition with commentaries and the same sort of features and extras we're used to with classic series uh, releases. So it's going to be a big cash cow.
1: Oh, and ab- absolutely. And uh, I mean, on the one hand, the BBC destroyed these episodes, and on the other hand, you know they've there w- would appear anyway that they've been working in concert with Phil Morris and his company to try and get these these stories back. So. I mean, there's a return on investment there somewhere along the line. I mean, Phil Morris has to be reimbursed for his costs, hmm. and also, you know, he's not—he's—he's not a charity, and you know, no one should—it should be expected to be a charity, especially going to fairly dangerous places like Nigeria. There's a, there's a reason why, you know, you you tread you tread very warily in ni- in places like Nigeria because it's hmm. just a. It's a, I mean, it's not a primitive backwater by any stretch of the imagination, but there are difficulties there amongst the population and you don't want to be caught up on that as he has been in the past. Just uh, harking back to the, the BBC, perhaps uh, double dipping or even triple dipping. I don't think fandom really should complain too much. I mean, those who can have downloaded it off iTunes and those who haven't, or those like me who will definitely be buying it on DVD so that they can get the experience of watching it on television, I'll be there in November and then early February for, for the releases. Um, and then uh, when the special editions come out, well, you know, it depends on how special the special editions are. I mean, I might be happy just to hang on to my vanilla releases, but uh, the BBC and its various arms um, are there to, A, produce television, and B, make money off that. So I, I have, personally, I have no problem. I mean, I, know I understand people are... Uh, operating under budgets and that sort of thing. So, you know, some of them might not be able to double or triple dip like, like I I might be able to. But um, there's a variety of formats that people can avail themselves of and it, it, by hook or by crook they'll they'll get them and the BBC will get its money and so will Phil Morris.
0: I think the BBC... Did you read their press release? Because uh, uh, apparently people have been complaining the fact that these stories have been released on iTunes I have to pay for them potentially twice to get them on DVD. And they came back and said... Well, the license fee covered these stories 45 years ago, so you got them for free then.
1: <laughs> too clever by half. So,
0: the people who weren't born, episodes of screen like I was, too bad, you have to pay. quite a surreal moment, isn't it? Sitting down and just thinking to yourself, I might watch uh, Enemy of the World Part 1 now, or Web of Fear
1: Part 4. It's quite surreal, isn't it? It's, even now, I still can't believe it. it. It is hard to believe. Given given that the the, the biggest find in recent memory was Tomb of the Soberman coming back intact, out of the clear blue sky, and since then I believe it's four separate finds of one episode each... So in the last uh, 20-odd years, we've had eight episodes come back, but the, the pattern has generally been dribs and drabs and the occasional bulk find. I mean, the, 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 one, the biggest find before Tomb was uh, the ones in the early 80s, like, you know, the Web Planet, the, the Time Meddler, the War Machines. Two basically complete stories come back, and given, even taking into account the fact that both of us had been following the Omni Rumour quite heavily over the past, you know, half year to have them sitting there available to view. And again, you go back to their provenance. I mean, they were sitting on a shelf in a relay station in a city in central Nigeria for 40-odd years. They may have been brought out occasionally to be screened. I mean, Steve Roberts seems to think that they may have gone into a cinema a couple of times to be shown. But just think about that. 11 tapes, none of them unique, sitting on a shelf... You know you know, buildings get cleared out, buildings move premises, uh, new people come and go. You know, one person who might have been there has shoved them in the corner just to safe safekeep them, you know, moves on from his job and the next people come in and they don't understand what they are. Regardless of that. These episodes have somehow survived. Thank God for inefficient destruction methods. Well, I, I suppose so. I suppose so.
0: Because if it was in a normal, like a, like a, I suppose a broadcaster over here, they would have been either wiped or something else would have happened to them, would have lost track of them. But to, as I said, to find him sitting on the shelf with a bit of masking tape saying Doctor Who and yeah, mind boggling. I mean, I
1: have a, regardless of what the Omni Rumor uh, proponents are saying that, you know, that there's going to be more stories coming out in, in staged announcements. It just gives... You it just gives you renewed hope that you know if these can survive that long against you know all the odds I suppose, then there may, there may be more stuff out there and I mean people are there's there's a new uh, acronym mu used to be the uh, the acronym of choice for Marco Polo enemy of the world and, and web of fear now it's triple M effectively it's uh, what is it is it Marco Polo <laughs> massacre and kids. And the mythmakers,
0: or Mac, no macro terror.
1: I mean, there's talk of these sort of stories coming back uh, that they've been found and they've been the, the restoration has been work, you know, been been done. I mean, but the as you said, the omni rumor rumbles on and these things are thrown out, um, but you can't discount them. Now that these two stories have come back, you cannot discount them. And I think it's telling that some of the proponents on the internet forums, these people who were saying without you know giving out their, their contacts we're saying that um, yes these stories are back and these stories are being restored and these stories are waiting to be released. They've actually gone quiet because the talk now is don't say too much internet Doctor Who fandom because you may be jeopardizing the possibility of further returns that you may be risking Phil Morris. and I mean Steve Roberts basically come out and said, that Phil Morris is a mate of his and it concerned him a great deal that all this chatter leading up to the announcement from fandom was putting him at risk. And there is talk that uh, Phil Morris, you know, was perhaps held at gunpoint at one stage at a border crossing. Um, These places that he's visiting, in Africa anyway, can be dangerous places. And now these main proponents have gone a bit quiet. They're saying, wait and see, just, you know, lay low, keep quiet, let's not talk too much about it. Which is that's that's what, it's interesting. It's an interesting change because before that they were declaiming from the the, the rooftops. Missing episodes have been found. These are the missing episodes that have been found. They're ready for, being ready for release. They've been released, and now they've they're counselling quiet. So who knows?
0: The only way to go and get missing episodes
1: back is
0: to have somebody like Phil Morris go out search for them. I remember when Tomb of The Sidemen was returned, there was talk about setting up a missing episodes office where somebody would go out and visit locations and see if they've actually got anything in their archives. Well, that didn't happen, and the one man who's done it um, has come back with
1: gold. I mean, because in the 80s, when Ian Levine sent uh, telexes uh, and, and made phone calls to, to various places, including Nigeria, that that worked at that stage. But as you said, uh, it's basically boots on the ground now. It's been such a long time that you have to be... You, uh, people like Philip Morris, well, Philip Morris, effectively, uh, has... Over the last eight years, remember I, I, that initial posting he made to the Missing Episodes forum was in two thousand and five, where he, you know, came up with the idea, and you know that, that that idea has regularly come up in fandom. You know, I'd like I'm going to roll up to a, a television archive in the, somewhere in the third world, and they're going to let me go through their archive. I don't think so. You just can't do that <laughs> on, on the spur of the moment. Phil Morris has worked in Africa. It appears that he has familiarized himself with, you know, the area and the people. And, you know, he's used that knowledge to build contacts. Apparently his company, uh, T-I-E-A, which is pronounced T-R, apparently he's got contacts in 40 separate countries for his archive restoration and, you know, the return of Doctor Who episodes on the side. So uh, there's a substantial effort that's gone on over the last eight years. Now, whether that was at the time he was known to members of the restoration team and he basically convinced them that he was, you know, sincere and serious and had the capability and the capacity to to, to go to be their their point man or or whether he was, um, you know, whether he was always part of that team, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, they've certainly embraced him. They've certainly embraced him since.
0: Phil Morris, obviously, when he goes into these archives, he's not just looking for Doctor Who. He's looking for everything that he can get his hands on, which is missing. So I can imagine when he's found these Doctor Who's, potentially there was other stuff of other TV shows which will never see the light of day.
1: Well, let's not forget the infamous three tons of film cans that were returned from Nigeria to to Liverpool uh, some an, a, a couple of years ago. Um, that look, that's hard. That's that's hard to say. I mean, we do know that there were the two um astronomy uh shows sky at night, which just you know it just seems it just seems passing strange that um a show ostensibly for British viewers uh was found in uh, in Africa, but you can imagine a lot of white settlers wanting to maintain their links with the the mother country would have been quite happy to just uh to, to watch that sort of thing
0: One interesting thing I found with the announcement was that um mark Gaddis. Has been quoted all over the place about the recovered episodes, but not Mr
1: Moffat. Yeah, that's interesting. Though I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were using Mark Gaddis uh, as a fan and also a TV professional, um, as a sort of a link between the two areas, the fandom and the professional sphere, and also because um, the, the the docudrama is coming up as well. So maybe that was a bit of a promotion for that. But um, uh, I think that uh, Mark Gaddis is, you know. Is a, is a hardcore fan of long-standing in these episodes, which he probably would have seen in his childhood back in the 60s. Uh, he's a very articulate speaker as well, not to say that Stephen Moffat isn't, but maybe Stephen Moffat is uh, busy on other things.
0: Or maybe Mr Gaddis is going to be the uh, next showrunner.
1: Well, wheels within wheels, Mark. Wheels within wheels. Who, who More rampant speculation to keep everyone uh, interested. <laughs> Just with regards to the Restoration team, uh, Steve Roberts has come out, and so has Paul Venesis, has come out and said that there's no more returns, but Paul Venesis has basically admitted that some of his comments where he denied that the complete web of fear had been returned were, uh, for want of a better word, dissembling, uh, and I suppose that makes sense because, you know, it wasn't in their purview to come out and make any announcements. That was solely in the remit of the BBC. So, look, it's unfortunate that, that, that these, you know, I suppose ostensibly professional-slash-fans find themselves in that situation. It's a privileged situation, but they find themselves in that situation nonetheless. Um, so when they now say nothing has been returned to the BBC, you know, we don't believe that there's anything, you know, to be returned, it's understandable that fandom basically... Uh, doesn't looks, believe them. Doesn't believe them. Now that's not to say that they're lying or that they're being bad people for lying. We understand, as we know, we mentioned before, that you know Phil Morris's search is taken into dangerous places, and it's not within their their gift to basically make these announcements. Uh, sometimes you think that they're on a hiding to nothing, and sometimes you think, well, perhaps they should withdraw essentially from fandom or making you know making themselves publicly available and just get on with their jobs and sort of withdraw. I mean, Steve Roberts basically. Uh, has been, you know, in hiding for the last five or six months, whereas Paul Vinicius has occasionally popped his head over the over the parapet and, and been knocked back, you know, unfortunately for him. But um, they, they find themselves in an invidious position. So, uh, But when they say, you know, nothing's been returned, do I believe them? Well, it's not really up to me to believe them, but uh, I think that there may be more coming back, and that's just the way things are sort of seem to be playing out.
0: Remember a couple of years ago... On Blue Peter, Ian Levine offered to buy any people who return missing episodes of Dalek. I think he owes Phil Morris a hell of a lot of Daleks at the moment. At
1: least he owes him... He at least owes him nine Daleks. So I suggest that Ian makes his way to Spiridon and unfreeze (laughs) some of that Dalek army. Just imagine if it was 90. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ian would love it. He'd love it. I mean, I, i you know, Ian Levine is many things... But at heart, he is a fan, and uh, his reaction uh, on Twitter and Facebook has been one of, you know, pure joy, uh, like everyone else, like everyone else. I mean, that's the interesting thing about this, is uh, it's like it's like another Capaldi
0: moment, isn't it, where fandom's sort of united. Um, I mean, the reactions to the stories have been very positive, but, you know, give it a few months, when the hysteria will calm down,
1: they'll get ripped to shreds. Well, that's, that, that's fandom. But, I mean, the fan, the fan reaction at that time, there were a lot of people... On, on the internet forums who, even though they didn't believe were, you know, very... were following this quite closely and attempting to debunk, which is fair enough because, you know, again, the whole set of rumours were really outlandish, even though they have been partially proven to be true. Uh, and um, when it was announced that these episodes had been returned, I mean, just uh, a collective tsunami of euphoria just washed over fandom. Um and i think even a lot of new series uh fans you know the younger fans sort of picked up on this and uh and hopefully they you know if they do choose to watch them they can sort of go back and you know so a lot of the people who you know love matt smith can can look back and go oh, hang on i can see a lot of matt smith and patrick trouton where a lot of the older fans would say, no, 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 we see a lot of Patrick Troughton and Matt Smith.
0: With the rumours, I don't know about you, but I've heard like friendships have been severely tested and even lost. Some people have said, oh, look, there's a potential, this is happening, you know, this episode's being returned. And some people outright say, I don't believe you, I don't believe you, are
1: lying, you're lying. Just the passions of fans, I suppose. Um, mm. You know, as civil wars set brother against brother, so do a missing episode rumours set <laughs> fan against fan. <laughs> The believers and the and the not believers exactly the atheists and the uh, the religious adherents. Fandom, uh, fandom's a funny thing. Phantoms a funny thing. And as you say, I mean, down the track, people will turn around and say, uh, oh, well, Enemy's enemy's not as actually good as everyone uh, said at the start." But you know, Euphoria play has played a part in the in the in the acclaim these episodes have received. Um, but you know, I mean, I actually having recently watched Tomb and then watched Enemy. I think uh, there's a major re-evaluation coming for Season 5 now. Uh, Tomb has dropped in my estimation compared against uh, Enemy and what I've seen of uh, of The Web of Fear. Which is not to say that Tomb is rubbish, just that these two episodes are very striking.
0: They move at a cracking pace, don't they? Uh, I mean, Enemy of the World 3, the one they retained, part 3 of Enemy of the World, I always found was quite clunky. But when you watch it in the context of the whole thing, um, it moves quite Quite well. And the, and some of the opening shots in episode one of Enemy of the World, for example, you know, got Trouton kicking his feet in the air, the aerial shots from the helicopter um, were really quite striking for, for when they were shot and the budget they had to deal with.
1: Well, Barry Letts, um, yeah, I think in his first association with the show, with the directorial role here with Enemy of the World... I mean, he just let it all hang out in episode one. Episode one is absolutely enthralling. From a, taking into account, it's a TV episode from the from the mid '60s, uh, and the you know the budget constraints and all that sort of thing. But what he's what he puts on the screen there is utterly is just really fantastic. It's really entertaining, and it just pulls you along. And you, you're right. I mean, seeing Trouton in action. I mean, this is my thing. I've said before about the animations. The animations can only be an approximation of what. You know the audio is indicating, and what the the camera script is indicating. I mean, I doubt very much whether an animated version of Enemy of the World Part One would have had Trouton scampering across the beach toward the waves, clicking his heels in delight. You wouldn't have seen that. No way. No. You way. wouldn't have seen it. And that exchange, uh, that that glance he exchanges with Astrid while she's uh, while he's doing her. Um, mending her, 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 her wounded arm. Yeah. I mean, you know, people say that the uh, the more recent Doctors are a bit randy, but uh, uh, Patrick Trouton, the second Doctor uh, saw had his eye on the main chance as well. So Yeah, he was mad for it. No, but uh, I suppose we, 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 we may even break our rule at some stage and review both of these stories, but uh, that, that might be for something uh, later to do. For me, the sad thing
0: is that uh, Barry Letts isn't around to see it nor Nick Courtney. I was watching Nick Courtney in Web of Fear and he was, uh, he was instantly the, you know, it was a colonel then, but he was instantly the character, instantly the brigadier. He was absolutely fantastic and I was watching it. And even my wife said to me, oh, you know, is he still alive? I said, no, he died a couple of years ago. And she goes, isn't that a shame? You know, he would have been able to see it. And I said, yeah, absolutely. It is a shame.
1: Yes, well, I was reading on a forum this evening, um, one of the actors, uh, I think he was one of the guards or policemen, uh, he only passed away about a month or so ago. So uh, even though he had a small role, it would have been—I suppose—it would have been nice for him to be able to um, be able to view himself in his uh, in his heyday. But uh, look, that's that's just the way things are. I doubt very much. You know, I I could imagine that if Barry Lynch was still alive but ailing, that given his links with the restoration team, I think they would have just sort of you know tapped him on the shoulder, said you know come in here for the, for an afternoon and have a look at this. I mean, and the same with Nick Courtney. I, I could imagine that the boys in the RT would have, would have done the right thing as, as far as they could. Um, because, you know, these, uh, Doctor Who, I mean, you know, Barry Les had a, had a larger career. Nick Courtney had a larger career, but you know, in the eyes of, eyes of, uh, and memories of many, Doctor Who is their sole contribution and the most important thing that they ever done, ever did in the, in the, in the performing arts industry. So, now, there's a lot of love out there for both of those men at the moment, I think, and given the fact that they're, that they're not here to, to savour these stories.
0: And I must admit, when I saw at the end of episode six, there's a title card it says, Next week, Fury from the Deep. And I went, have they got that as well? I was like, oh my God, because that's this one
1: story I really want to see. Yes, you, you momentarily forget that, uh, you know, you, you're sort of taken up in the, in, the, in, in the story, The Web of Fear. And then you get that sort of, you know, and then next week, and then you go, oh, and then you suddenly realise, ah. Oh, Oh, that's oh. right. But just remember, on that point, there's uh, if you look at broadcast, uh, the website devoted to tracking where Doctor Who prints went. Um, these two stories that have been returned returned, I think, form part of a four-story sale that and which included these two stories. I think the Abominable Snowman, a snowman, and also Fury from the Deep. So, I think it's those two stories. But regardless, where it'd be interesting to know A, where Weberfear three, what, what happened to it? And what happened to those other two stories that I think were part of the package? Is there another relay station out there in Nigeria that's holding them? But who knows? I mean, Phil, again, Phil Morris is on the case. And Paul Vaniceus said uh, late last week or over the weekend that they are following up three promising leads. Now, whether that's off the back of Phil Morris's work, or even the interest in the public that generated by the announcement, because it was wall to wall basically, the BBC, you know, you know, all the major papers, all the major serious papers, including you know, including papers like the Guardian and the Independent, all the way down to the the red top tabloids, were, were all over this. So uh, it, it may shake loose a few, a uh, few, few items just sort of in people's uh, back cupboards or attics, but who knows?
0: Now, over the uh, course of the weekend, uh, we sent out a couple of tweets via our Twitter account uh, asking for your feedback, and uh, to our great uh, delight and surprise, we've got, actually got some. So, the first mail we have uh, is from our old friend Davik Chen, uh, aka Dave K. He says, uh, Like all fans, I'm overjoyed to see missing episodes returned, having been sceptical about these rumours for well over a year. Weber Fear went up in my estimation now I've seen the visuals which, in my opinion, lift the story considerably. Canfield's direction of the Yeti battle in Part 4 must stand up as his best work. Yeah, I agree. Enemy of the World looks nothing like what I expected, and Episode 1 especially blew me away with a scale and pace. Barry Lett's desire not to let the budget get in the way of telling a good story shines through. On a side note, though... I'm a little disappointed by all the cloak and dagger aspects of the release and the announcement, but I guess have to trust that the BBC have good reasons for doing so. Nevertheless, they certainly must be commended for the prompt iTunes release of these episodes. Overall, very, very happy. Davik Chen.
1: Give my regards to Mavic, won't you? Well, look, Dave K is, is basically right there. I mean, he, having the visuals in front of us just uh, just brings it all together. I mean, we've for years had to rely on, you know tele snaps, fifty or sixty telly snaps per episode, and uh, and a crackly, slightly dodgy audio recording. Um, and you know, uh, but uh, having having the uh, having the um, the episodes in front of us does it just it's just a dream come true, really. It's just fantastic.
0: What about you, Rob? You got any uh, correspondence there?
1: Well, I've got a correspondence from Jeff in an outer suburb of Melbourne. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Jeff. Jeff says I saw these stories twice on broadcast forty-five years ago as a boy. Once in the UK and once a year later when the family moved to Australia. Watching Web of Fear again brought back some great memories, as the scenes and set pieces in this story have stayed in the mind. Great to see it again. Genuine, classic Doctor Who. Can't disagree with that. Nice one. And very lucky to uh, one, of the, one of the very few people I'm sure who has actually watched it twice on broadcast.
0: That's who the BBC are referring to in that uh, statement about the license fee. And you saw it for free in 1968. <laughs> that was you, Jeff. Good stuff, good stuff. We also got a couple of tweets from our friend Noel. Hello, Noel. Right, here's a couple of contentious uh, questions.
1: Any news, and what did turn up for real? I think uh, in the fullness of time, Noel, we'll um, we'll find out what exactly has been going on. Uh, the, the DWM this week's release, DWM has a has a cover story on the inside. Paul Venezis has promised in the coming weeks to uh, release his own uh, version of his involvement. Um, and again, you know, I'm sure that when and if any special editions are released, um, there'll be some sort of uh, piece I- included that will you know, cover the, the return. I'm sure Phil Morris will be interviewed extensively just to find out what's going on. But look, as we said before, there were many rumours going around that form up the Omni rumour. And the three tonnes of material allegedly returned via Nigeria to Liverpool still resonates. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Three tonne, Nelly. Let's hope it's true. Let's hope it's true. Certainly. But I mean... Given that it's probably taken the restoration team—I mean, they—they've they, only had it for—I uh, uh, I would imagine—Steve Roberts said it's just taken the usual time to restore it—an uh, episode. That could be three or four months. Now, imagine that's three or four months—you know—for the two stories. Imagine doing that for supposedly hundreds or even thousands of film cans. You know, going through them, you know, checking what is salvageable and what isn't. Um, it could take literally years to actually fully catalog a return of that magnitude we just don't know it would take about
0: three years that's just not one organization that'd be I imagine the BFI the BBC any other independent uh, organizations television organizations whose material got returned
1: exactly and you know they'd probably have to contract that work out because I don't think in-house they'd be able to cope with it any or any television organization they're not they're not uh, fitted out for that sort of thing really
0: in the uh, our previous missing episode podcast Rob, uh, you mentioned that you had a hand in recovering some of the power of the Dalek clips from uh, the ABC in Australia. Uh, Noel has asked, can you tell us more about the, the, your role in the recovery of those said clips?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this all happened uh, in the mid to late 90s. Um, i just uh, come out of university and started working and uh, I suppose I was in the uh, post-university ennui. I was a bit uh, just a bit bored and I needed some distraction and I got heavily into uh reading about missing episodes not only doctor who but um other aspects uh, other british tv shows and uh i remember buying you know a number of fanzines and uh, and reading all about that and sort of being startled and overwhelmed by the the sheer magnitude of the of the of the destruction that was wreaked upon you know bbc archives and you know other tv stations i mean so you only found out in the mid 90s oh no i i i did um in the mid to sort of the mid to late 80s when i'd picked up a copy of that uh, doctor who winter special from 81 i think it was i sort of worked it out that th- there was a quite a lot missing but i think it only really hit me uh in the uh in in, in the 90s when i was sort of really heavily into it and I, I by that stage i'd gotten onto the internet and you could sort of you know go through check out various websites that would discuss um just missing episodes and and there was the that infamous um Paul Lee document where he goes uh, in, in great detail uh, about you know lots of, it's basically a, a rumor a collection of rumors etc cetera, etc cetera. um you know i printed that off at the at the university at my university computer computer room and, uh, and, and drag that home because it's quite a big document but um, they're definitely really interested in that sort of thing so um, as I said I was, I was you know had access to the internet and I came across a Doctor Who clips uh, website run by a gentleman from the UK named Steve Phillips and that website which is still uh, up and running it's been running since the early 90s I think catalogues all the surviving clips from otherwise missing episodes uh, and it had you know stuff like the um, the film sequences from Dalek Master Plan that Steve Roberts found, where the Daleks are going through um, uh, the, the 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 jungle there with their flamethrowers. Uh, but it, you know it it also includes a sense of Eclipse Return from Australia. And I was reading through there, and there was an article about um, an Australian TV uh, documentary series. Um, I think it was essentially aimed at children. It was an attempt to explain certain concepts to them. And, it, I mean, it, the, the one that came come to mind uh, that was listed there was, was called C for Computer. And uh, there were records showing that the, the ABC had illustrated uh, that episode by using clips taken from their copy of uh, Power of the Daleks, which is obviously Patrick Troughton's first, uh, first story. And um, I was I was—it it took me. I was excited by that because it was—it was something that was possibly findable uh, in Australia. It wasn't something you know you wouldn't have to sort of contact Africa like Ian Lavie did, or you wouldn't have to go through um, go to an English car boot sale to find something like they did uh, in the early '80s. So I got in contact with Steve Phillips, and um, he he gave me some more information about um, about the CIFA computer. And he said, look, if you can find a broadcast or transmission date for it, that may help narrow down what happened with the, the, the actual episode C for Computer. So I remember it was, um, I think it was a midweek, I wasn't; I had the day off, and uh, I uh, f- found the phone number for the archives, the uh, ABC archives in Sydney. And I rang up, it was in the morning, I think, and uh, asked, to, asked to speak to someone about you know, finding a, a broadcast date for something. Uh, for this for this TV program, which I think had gone out in the uh, early seventies, oh, it'd gone out in the seventies, and um, I I got onto a a lady and uh, I you know sort of said, look, you know, I'm, I'm interested in finding out a broadcast date for this particular episode, and she said, yeah, I'll look, you know, what's the, what's the name of it, and I you know gave the name, C for computer, it's part of this Perspectives program, oh yes, well I'll just have a look in our computer system. So she was tapping away, and I could hear uh, other people in the background chattering, like you'd probably do in a lot of call centers. And much to my amazement, she came back within a couple of minutes and said, oh, look, see for computer, it's listed here as being broadcast on this 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 date, which at, you know at this distance I can't remember." I said, "Oh right," I was you know jotting that down quite quite hastily, and she said, "Look, if you want a copy, we can actually sell you a copy." Okay, how much is that going to cost? And it for a thirty-minute program, it was probably going to cost me about three hundred dollars. Now that my memory is a bit hazy. It, she may have been saying that CIFA computer itself existed in its entirety with the clips inside or she may have been referring to uh, the clips themselves I'm not I, at this distance is a bit hard to say but the main thing I said look I said thanks I'll, if I want to buy it I'll get back to you hang up the phone but the main thing there was that I had a broadcast date so I got I got in touch I emailed Steve Phillips that day or that evening and uh, in the end he passed them on to Steve Roberts who, using his, um, the, the BBC's imprimatur, contacted um, the ABC in Sydney, or he probably contacted BBC Worldwide in Sydney, who then contacted uh, the ABC in, uh, in, in Sydney and arranged for copies to be sent back to uh, the BBC. So, really, it's a shared effort, um, and there should be shared recognition. Steve Phillips, whose site inspired me, and Steve Roberts, who's whose... Uh, who used his contacts and his position to be able to bring them back and um the uh the missing uh the missing episodes documentary on the ice Warriors vhs uh has me as a as being credited as being a, someone who assisted with uh, with finding you know some small very very tiny portion of doctor who's missing output and that's the story noel it was just uh, being in the right place at the right time and uh using the information at hand um I think, as I said in the previous uh, Missing Episodes podcast that we did, that uh, you basically, in terms of looking for episodes, it really should be left up to the experts or those who have a will and a way like Phil Morris, because um, its it uh, you don't want to cause trouble, and you don't want to sort of put roadblocks in the way of people who've got a genuine ability to do something and try and find episodes. So, but that's the story of the find of uh, Power of the Daleks clips. When you rang
0: up the ABC... Uh, I'm glad you didn't say, hi, I'm looking for the lost Doctor Who episodes because they would have just hung up on you instantly because I probably get uh, four or five of those calls a week. As with every African broadcaster now, we'll be getting phone calls saying, do you have this?
1: Yes, well, I can imagine that the, the surge in interest that this has caused um, has probably led to an upswing in context of the ABC. And in and, and actual fact, the ABC uh, was caught up in the Omni rumour uh, earlier on this year that uh, there was talk of an archival facility in Adelaide that contained uncatalogued uh, film prints um, and even uh, now I think that's been debunked so please don't call up the ABC and don't call them up in Adelaide please don't do that uh, the, the, the power of the Daleks have been returned from Australia but I think that was just the fevered uh, you know wish wishings of fans and um, I think the omni-rumour, the nugget, the hardcore nugget of those, uh, you know, Marco Polo, Enemy of the World and Weber Fear was, was the baseline for the, for the rumour. And whether Marco Polo ever turns up and is part of Phil Morris's work, we'll, we'll just have to wait.
0: One thing I did notice about the stories was how abruptly they ended. Uh, they, you know, the Doctor and his, and his companions come in, fix the situation and say, right, that's it, I'm sodding off now. And they instantly go.
1: I think what people tend to forget that Doctor Who in the sixties was more or less an ongoing an ongoing story where the last episode would run directly into the next episode more or less, and you see that certainly in the in the Enemy of the World. I've not seen Web of Fear six yet, but uh, I'll take, uh, I take understand where you're coming from with that. I mean, the Enemy of the World basically basically ends, and then uh, there's there's trouble in the TARDIS, and that sort of bleeds into the you know the opening ten or fifteen minutes of uh, Web of Fear Part One. Uh, in these days of, um, you know, one episode and the story is, 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 is done and over and, and there's no sort of continuing ramifications ongoing other than in the ubiquitous story arc that we, we seem to be inflicted uh, week in, week out. Um, but Doctor Who back in the 60s was an ongoing series. I mean, it was, it was a serial uh, like the, you know, the, th- the 30s uh, Flash Gordon and Superman serials. Um, just the story was ongoing, and uh, and it just moved from week to week, and uh, and also you know as we know that each story up until um, the early part of the Trouton era had its own had its own title, sort of reinforced that point that there wasn't a discrete story, but it was an ongoing narrative.
0: Actually, the scene where the Doctor meets Salamander in episode six of Enemy of the World was actually a lot better um, than what. I imagine, the way it was realised. Um, I remember Barry Letts wasn't totally happy with the result, but when I was watching it again, or watching it again, watching it for the first time without tele-snaps and a really muffled soundtrack,
1: I was actually quite impressed with it. Yes, I don't know whether the restoration sort of masked any any issues with that, uh, the sort of the split screen that was there, but it was, um, look, it was handled very well. Handled very well. I, I did a quick read on, uh, on Wikipedia about the story and apparently uh, Barry Letts had planned six shots, split-screen split, split screen shots, and was only able to get just the one done at the end. But uh, look, you know, uh, hats off. It's the 1960s. Technology uh, is reasonably primitive, especially. I mean, it's primitive compared to what's capable of being done today. But, you know, with talent and ingenuity and, you know, a will to get it done, it's remarkable what they put up on the screen. And, and just looking at The Enemy of the World... And looking at the first parts of the web of fear, I mean, th- I mean this. Uh, there's been a lot of criticism ongoing amongst fandom about the 50th anniversary, about the low impact of the 50th anniversary, uh, and to a certain extent, that's that's unfair. I mean, uh, because I think they're beginning to slowly ramp it up, but if, uh, it is slow. It is probably a bit too slow. But for me, for an old school fan like myself who does watch the new series, this. The return of these two stories have basically have, have you know have made the fiftieth anniversary. I I don't care if the day of the doctor is a pile of crap. That won't mean anything to me because enemy of the world and the web of fear are back, and that's just utterly wonderful.
0: I'm extremely happy with what's been recovered and what's been uh, released so quickly to the you know to, to fans one month out from the anniversary uh, date. But I was ho- it would have been nice to have maybe something a little bit earlier. Because I think now it's going to really take a lot of focus off the Day of the Doctor.
1: Well, this is probably why, in part, if if a large cache of episodes has been returned, they haven't just dropped them all in one go because that would just swallow up November twenty three. That would just destroy it. No one would talk no, fandom. I mean, look, eight or nine or ten million people are gonna are going to probably watch Day of the Doctor, but in terms of the media lead up in the, amongst the general public, it'll be missing episodes that will just eat up all the publicity if they dropped a large number on us. So the staggered approach, if there is if there is a plan that, that entails that, is probably the best way to go. So I actually envy you, Mark, because I understand you're going to be at the XL convention on uh, November 23, and I'm sure that there'll be a, just an excited undercurrent, you know, fans sort of saying to themselves, Marco Polo, Marco Polo, Marco Polo. Is it? Are they, you know, I've heard they're going to announce it on this stage, and that's. The, I mean, it'll just. Be, it'll be wonderful. I mean, it'll be great to be there amongst all those fans for the fiftieth anniversary convention. But I mean, you know, imagine if some. You know, an announcer comes out on stage and says. Uh, it's a space
0: pirates. <laughs> the anticipation in the room will be uh, palpable.
1: Imagine if William Russell and Caroline Ford come out, uh, surprise the audience, and uh, they just whip out a DVD and.
0: There'll be defib machines being broken out everywhere. Underpants would need changing. It'd be uh, it'd be mass hysteria. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it actually. Um, Philip Morris obviously is going to Africa and travelling to those exotic well, I'd say exotic loosely uh, countries in search of missing episodes. I'm using uh, frequent flower points and.
1: Uh- <laughs> going to London for a uh, a, a pilgrimage. The uh, the most danger you'll suffer in London is possibly the fried food. <laughs> no,
0: I think it's more Scotland, the fried
1: food. Let's fry that Mars bar now.
0: Deep, actually, that's true. I've seen uh, shops over there have deep fried Mars bars. I didn't partake wow. in them.
1: Well, well, look, you only live once, Mark. What can I say? Missing episodes only come once in a lifetime and so do fried Mars bars. <laughs> All right, so that's the uh, that's our missing episodes uh, podcast, Mark. Once again, uh, it's just been a fantastic, enthralling, entertaining week to be a Doctor Who fan. Uh, I, for one, am just in love with the idea that Enemy of the World and Weber Fear are back. And if any of the rumours are true, there may be more to come. Regardless, I'm just a one happy camper. It was very frustrating on Friday
0: because I wanted to get out of work early because I knew there'd be the episodes would be on my iTunes account when I get home. That didn't happen. The trains on my train line were delayed for an hour, so I couldn't watch them until I got home. It was very frustrating, but once I started watching them, all that anger and angst just washed away, and uh, it was absolutely brilliant watching stories that you'd think you'd never see again in your in your lifetime. It was absolutely brilliant. So uh, thank you very much, Phil Morris, for uh, going out to the darkest reaches of Africa.
1: Hope you found more, mate. Godspeed, Phil Morris. Thanks, folks, for joining us again on 42 to Doomsday. Uh, Once again, we've uh, covered missing episodes, uh, this time with actual missing episodes to talk about. So uh, we'd actually be keen to hear from you, uh, your thoughts on The Return, how the BBC handled it, what you hope for the future, and what you think about the episodes themselves. Uh, As always, uh, our Twitter account, you can contact us at, at 42 to Doomsday. If you want to G, uh, send us an email to our Gmail account, which is 42 to doomsday at gmail.com, uh, more than happy to take on any of your messages. Uh, as we've said in the past, uh, your feedback makes this podcast better. And uh, always keen to listen to, uh, always keen to hear our listeners. So until next time, I've been Mark, and I've decidedly been Salamander.
0: And as the Yeti would say, <laughs>
1: see you next time, folks. See ya.